was glad when they said unto me, let us come to the house of the Lord. Man, it is a joy and honor to be with you all. Uh, my name is Justin. I am one of the deacons at Cross Point South Orlando, uh, formerly Lake Nona. If you were around for those years, um, man, it is a joy, a joy, joy, joy to be here with you and a great honor to be here with you. Um, I... My family uh, grieves with you all, and grieves with Pastor Jeremiah as he uh, goes through the loss of his father this week. Um, so, man, just, you know, I was listening to Jeremiah's sermon uh, last week, and he mentions his father, that uh, they went fly fishing and, and ate Oreos, um, which I myself can relate to. Um, but... Dads, your, your presence is important, right? Like, I, I mean, I don't know how old Jeremiah is. Like, I, I, I mean, I assume he's an adult. That's a joke. But even then, to have such fond memories of his, of his father, it's important, it's important. So I'll leave that there. If that was for someone in here, then receive it. If not, I'll receive it unto me. Well, family, are you ready to study your Bibles? Yeah. Yeah? Yeah? All right, well, go ahead and turn to Psalm 121. As you do that, I want to frame up our, our time this morning. Uh, whether you're new here or maybe you forgot, um, last week as a body, you began a series called The Songs of Ascent. Uh, now, this title is more than just beautiful wordplay. This is an actual uh, collection in the Bible. It is a group of 15 psalms from Psalm 120 to Psalm 134 that were sung uh, in unison as, as the people uh, during three separate pilgrimages uh, to Jerusalem. The Israelites would, would leave their homes and go through the treacherous valley to the mountain of God in Jerusalem. And, and think of these songs, these collections as kind of a mixtape, a, a playlist that they would sing together on their journey. And we still do that today, though, right, man? Right? Like, I don't, I don't know about you, but I can speak for me. Exercising is not a fun time for me. But back when I was taking these boxing uh, uh, classes in Kansas City, my, my coach would always fill the room with music. And it just made the war that was beating my body into discipline just so much easier. The time would fly like that. I would be like, we're done. I can still go. Like, this is unbelievable. I mean, from my journey here, we drove an hour and five minutes, something like that. And there was a playlist. I had already prepared a playlist of music that I wanted to listen to, to prepare my mind, to be with you all, to prepare my heart and my soul, to proclaim God's word. We still do this today, right? We listen to music to encourage us, to motivate us, to prepare us, to get us through. And so... Much like how we do, the Israelites sang these songs to prepare their hearts and their minds and their soul for the journey to be with God. So for our time this morning, I want you to see the pilgrimage that you and I are on in this moment. You and I are presently journeymen, immigrants, 
Our home is not here. In fact, we are passing through. Not to ancient Jerusalem like the Israelites that we read here, but instead we are on the way to new Jerusalem. Let, these, let us sing these truths so that our minds and our hearts may be anew. This particular song before us brings two great truths. It brings us two great truths in times of fear, hopelessness, anxiety. One, that God is our help. And the second, that God is our keeper. That's our agenda. So let us read the word, pray, and see what the Lord has for us this morning. Amen. Amen. Psalm 121 reads, a song of ascents. I lift my eyes to the hills. From where does my help come? My help comes from the Lord who made heaven and earth. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, oh, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The Lord is your keeper. The Lord is your shade on your right hand. The sun shall not strike you by day, nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you all from evil, keep you from all evil, and he will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. This is God's word. Would you pray with me? God, we look to you in this moment of reverence, that you are a powerful creator, that you have made all things, stitch them together with care and compassion, with love and power. We stand in awe of you as we ask you to do what you have been doing, to continue to sustain us, that as your word washes over us, it corrects us, positions us in the right direction, that it tears down forts and strongholds in our minds and heart so that we may be used as vessels by you to do the same for others. God, we look to you for help. Would you gift me with clarity of speech and thought and give the listeners with attentiveness and grace. We love you and we need you in Christ's name. Amen. John Calvin, in the liturgies he wrote for Strasbourg and Geneva, contained this sentence at the beginning of every service. Our help is in the name of the Lord who made the heavens and the earth. Calvin knew that this sentence expressed the powerful truth that every believer needed to hear before engaging in worship. This statement is both a confession, a word of confession and a word of praise. And when our lives are directed by this truth, there is no plan of evil that can overpower us because our helper made the heavens and the earth. Family, I submit this question to you now. From where does your help come? And before answering, you might think of me asking you this question from this pulpit and your place in the congregation right now, and you might that might nudge you to say loudly, God, but if I can push you further, where do you find your sense of security truly? Look at your life. Does it 
does your life preach that your confidence is in the safety and security of God? I ask you that now. The Israelites, at this time, they knew insecurity. Each year they traveled on foot from their homes three times to far away Jerusalem as the Lord commanded them. And along this road, many threats were lying in wait, thieves in caves, heat exhaustion, slippery slopes. It was unpredictable, this journey that they were taking. What could happen to them in this journey? It was a treacherous path. I mean, can you imagine walking 80 plus miles on foot? This is you walking to Orlando. The path is dangerous. And it's filled with the likely chance that if something could go wrong, it would go wrong. Threats in the hills, threats in the caves, threats on the road, threats from the weather above. All of these circumstances, situations would put in the heart fear, anxiety, a sense of fragility, doubt. I mean, God told us to trek 80 plus miles. I'll be second guessing that mug the whole way through. All of these things. See, but I don't, I, I, family, even these feelings of fragility, of fear, of doubt, they're all things we feel today, right? They're all things you probably presently feel in the moment. And though we don't take a pilgrimage to be with God in Jerusalem, we cannot say that today we find ourselves better off than they. As I said before, we're not on the road to ancient Jerusalem, but to the new Jerusalem. Our pilgrimage is much longer than theirs. Theirs lasted a couple days. Ours lasts a lifetime. And it's no less treacherous. Life, even on this side of grace, can still feel desperate, uneasy, uncertain. We still feel the fragility of our lives. We can have our whole world snatched, shocked in a second. I often think, when I hear stories of tragedy, I often think, man, what was their life? Just 30 minutes before. Just 30 minutes before. An hour. What was their life that morning? Nothing is promised here. Which is why I ask you, family, from where does your help come? This is an appropriate question. A, a routine question we should ask ourselves. And the psalmist, he challenges us further, right? Then questioning the object of our sense of security, he also challenges our attention, our focus in the midst of the chaos. In the midst of the unease, he also challenges where we are looking. I lift my eyes to... Oh baby, we family, you can talk back to me. I lift my eyes to the, to the hill. From where does my help come? Notice two things, family, that the focus of our attention is important. And the admitting 
to need or help. Notice the hills. The hills being mentioned is intriguing to me. Because militaristically, being in the valley is the least strategic place of protection. Being surrounded by hills is easy pickings for an ambush of arrows. Many a war throughout history we see has been won because the losing side chose the valley. Looking to the hills would cause unease, uncertainty, anxiety, fear. Many of our fears today are not really from what we see, but rather what we cannot, right? A global crippling virus. Natural disasters. I mean, yesterday I left my children with their grandparents, and I left them with my truck because it has the car seats in it for just in case of an emergency. I don't know what could happen. But I'm preparing for if something does happen. I think verse 1 already positions the pilgrim on this song as they sing it to reflect. Are my eyes focused on my sorrows or my hope? Are my eyes focused on my situation or my hope? In face of danger, of uncertainty, or unease, where are my eyes fixated? Notice the admission of help. All of us are in need of help, and we are in need of more help than we realize. In your circumstances, would you be honest enough to confess that you either seek the answer in someone or something that cannot satisfy the job we've given it, or too proud to admit that we need the help that we need? We make these pers persons or temporal things the object of our security or avoid our need for help in exchange for a I'll do it myself mentality. Notice, family, the posture of our heart cannot be rooted in tough it outness. Crisis is not the time for a test of self durability. No, the psalmist admits, I need. My mind cannot rest. My heart is anxious. From where will my help come? My eyes look to the hills. Will the hills save me? No. From where will my help come? Thankfully, the question is immediately answered in verse 2. My help comes from the Lord, the maker of heaven. Earth. My help comes from the Lord who brought the exodus. My help comes from the Lord who saved the ark. My help comes from the Lord who spared the child and provided a ram. My help comes from him. It's not just God, right? I lift my eyes up to the hills from where does my help come from, God? It's God who made the heavens and the earth. This is to say that when I look to the hills and I'm in need of help, I say to those hills, I know the God who made you. 
This way of speaking about God as creator of everything shows us that in no matter what we may need his help for, there is nothing outside his care. My son was drawing a picture the other day. And he's, you know, he's drawing and I kind of come around and he's like, Dad, can you help me? I'm like, okay, sure. And he goes, I need you to draw me a dragon. A lot big. What else you got, bud? I'm not an artist. The look on his face, though, the look on his face that his father, his provider of everything he knows, he gets his food from me, his playtime from me, his Bible studies from me. I change him. I feed him. I, cl I, I, I clean his bottom when he uses the bath. I am his source of everything. And this one simple thing I could not do for him. But not God. But not God. God is the creator of everything. There is nothing outside of his care. Nothing that surpasses his limits. Because he has no limits. He is an able God, a sure God. When the hills bring you terror, no family that every hill, God has established its height. He has named every blade of grass that lies on top, knows every rock that lies underneath it. There is a God who has made all things, and he is your present help. Oh, I wish somebody loved Jesus enough in this room this morning to shout back at me. Yes, God. Amen. If you're here, family, and you're going through it, you're going through it, and you're wondering from where will my help come? Brother, sister, our help comes from the Lord. There is no crisis too great, nor tragedy too deep. Nothing can overwhelm him. Look at me at verse 3. This is, this is where the psalm changes. The first two verses are written in the first person. And from here on out, the perspective changes. It's as if the writer, or if you were singing, singer, would then speak to yourself. Have this internal dialogue. He will not let your foot be moved. He who keeps you will not slumber. Behold, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. Here we are introduced to the main theme of the song. God's promise to keep us. He will not let your foot be moved. Which is to say that for the pilgrimage to Zion, the way was treacherous and slippery. It was a dangerous journey. But notice the singer singing to himself, he will not let your foot be moved. You ever talk to yourself? <laughs> Charles Purgis says the most important daily habit we can possess is to remind ourselves of the gospel. That's not talking to yourself. We sing. We sing songs where we talk to ourselves. Sing like never before, oh my soul. David, earlier in the song, said, why are you downcast, oh my soul? The woman who touched Jesus' garment said to herself, 
If I can only touch his garment, you ever speak to yourself? Alistair Begg says, if you speak to yourself, speak some sense to yourself. I like to think that the psalmist says it to himself the way that we see it here. Behold. Behold, he that keeps Israel will neither slumber nor Behold that word. Again, our attention is addressed. Behold my soul. God does not sleep. Behold my soul. He will not let my foot be moved. Behold my soul. Don't look to the mountains where the temples of the false gods reside. No, my help comes from the Lord and he does not sleep. Remember the argument that Elijah had with the prophets of Baal? Do you remember that? Alright, I'll tell you. So, I'll give you the Cliff Notes version though. So this is like my version. This is like when I read the Bible, this is like if I wrote my commentary, this is what it was like, right? So Elijah's up on the mountain, right? And he's talking to these prophets of Baal, right? And they, of course, Baal's not a real God, right? And Elijah knows this, right? But they don't know that. So they, they, they're trying to have a competition of who, whose God is like more powerful. And they, they call on Baal to do something or other. It doesn't matter because he doesn't do it. And they get upset, right? They're like, Ugh! And then Elijah looks at him in the most gangster way possible. And Elijah goes, go wake him up. <laughs> Read it. He says, go wake him up. What is he, sleeping? Your God is not real. But my God does not sleep. He does not slumber. Oh, y'all still don't get it. Okay, some of y'all who work, right? Y'all got, got jobs that you may be on call for, right? Has anybody got like an on-call job? My man, thank you. You didn't leave me hanging. I appreciate you, brother. <laughs> when you go to sleep at night, you got to leave your phone on, right? Because if something happens, they're going to call you. You got to get up and come. This is not God. God does not sleep and leave his phone on. There is no like adult baby monitor that God pays attention to for your moment of crisis. He can run in the way. See, God's eyes does not tire, not even for a second. He remains watchful. He does not slumber nor sleep. Debate this. God does not close his eyes on you. He is present. He is listening waiting to be called on for rescue. Your God does not fail. He keeps you. In fact, that word keep is found in five of the eight verses that make up this song. The repetition calling us to remember that God keeps his children. Verse 3, he keeps you. Verse 4, he keeps Israel. Verse 5, he's your keeper. Verse 7, he will keep you. Verse 8, he will keep your comings and goings. It's as though you could not ever be lost again. He keeps you, mind, body, and soul. But family, let us not confuse God our keeper as a life absent of struggle. Amen? People pass away. People get sick. Accidents happen. Businesses close. Finances get tight. Children disappoint us. Friends disappoint us. We disappoint other people. 
Let us not confuse our keeping with a life absent of struggle. So then what does this mean? Jesus in Luke 12 is meeting with his disciples. This is a crazy moment in the scripture. I don't know like, if you ever read this part. I mean, you, what? In Luke 12, he's meeting with his disciples when he tells them, you are more valuable than the sparrows. You see that on coffee cups, right? You are more valuable than the sparrows. Every hair on your head is accounted for. Jesus is telling them the meticulous love of God is so deep. Listen, I love my wife and my children more than any of y'all in this room. And I love y'all. But I don't know the hairs on their head. I don't know every single one. God's care, God's love for you is that deep. But what does Jesus say right before that? Literally right before. It's not like he said this, said some other things, and then said you're valuable. Literally right before he says, if you follow me, he'll kill you. He says, don't fear the ones who can kill your body. Fear the one who can send your soul to the flames. See, God keeps your soul. Your soul is never lost. It's never cast away. God keeps you for all eternity. His and you are more valuable than the birds. Every part of you is known by him. Fear not the valley of the shadow of death. God is with you. And when they persecute you for my name, fear not. I have you. Bad will come. But the bad we experience in this life, God intends for the good. How would Joseph sing this song? We saw it. When his brothers returned to him, he said, For the evil you meant for me, the Lord has meant for my good. Behold, where are you fixing? On the temple? On the passing? Paul says, I can go through no hell here on earth that compares to the glory that awaits for me in heaven. All I have is Christ and Christ alone. Luther says the same things. He said, you can take my wife. You can take my children, my wealth, my health. And still, I have Jesus. He is truly all I have. Family, this is where things go bad for us. If your dependence, if your confidence, if your security is found in anything other than God. If your confidence is found in your spouse, if your confidence is found in your children, if your safety is found in your wealth, if your uh, uh, dependence is found in a political ideology, if your dependence, your security, anything that you can cling your mind, your soul, your body to is found in anything other than Jesus, you have disaster. Because all those things will fail. If you've been married, or if you are married, and you put time in, or you know your wife, your spouse, your husband, gonna fail you. If you've been a parent for however long, my oldest is six, you know your children will fail you. 
If you've owned a business, you know how slippery the slope can get with your journey. All those things fail. All those things fail. But if your confidence is found in Christ, then take it all away. Then take it all away. How will you make it? God is your God. I'll close with the last verses, verses 7 and 8. The sun shall not strike you by day nor the moon by night. The Lord will keep you from all evil. He will keep your life. The Lord will keep your going out and coming in from this time forth and forevermore. Notice the contrast, the use of opposites, night and day, going and coming. If the Lord, if God is Lord of everything, then He is Lord of everything. Not just parts of your life. Church, this would suggest that God is more than a God who operates in the big details, the big workings of your life. God is bigger than a job promotion. But he's actually working every meticulous detail. Every defining moment is by his employ, his decree. Notice the language. He's Lord protector when you sleep, gracious to wake you up. He's God of brushing your teeth and eating your breakfast. His love is present when you have your midday crash and eat a cup of coffee, your ride home from work, your goings and comings at work. God is God always. And this is a kindness to you. This is out of love for you, family. The love of God towards us is shown in His Son keeping us. Keeping us until the day He returns to bring us home with Him. Keeping us hidden in the hand of His Father. And who can pluck us from that hand? Who can remove us from His grasp? No one. Not you, not me, not no one. Oh, this is exciting. This is exciting. Because it's not up to you to be kept. It's not up to you to be kept. You have been called, saved, justified, glorified in Christ Jesus who has rescued you, who was a propitiation for your sin, took your wrath that you deserve and forevermore secure in the hand of his Father. Oh, I wish you were excited about that. Because it's not up to you. It's not up to you. God has set you aside for himself forever. How can this be? Oh, because of Christ. You and I came to this world broken, sinful. There was a great chasm between us and God. We could not pass. We didn't have the means. We didn't have the strength, but God made a way. He sent his son. He took your sin, pinned them to the cross. Oh, then the bridge was made for you and I to move from enemies with him to now family with him. Family. Family. God is keeping you everywhere that you go. Because when trouble comes and you look to the hills on your left, and you look to the sun on your right. 
And you ask yourself, because talking to yourself is godly. And you ask yourself, from where does my help come? Oh, it comes from the Lord. And you will be kept. Your foot will not slip. You are held fast forever and ever. Fix your eyes on Jesus' church. And I'll leave you with this. His power to save is mighty. Pray with me. Without it, any of this is meaningless. For your son Jesus, who took our place, who made it so that we would no longer have your wrath over us, but have been adopted by. Like a good father, you keep us under your protection. You keep us as we journey, promising, promising the completion of our run. We have nothing left but to worship you. In Jesus' name, amen.